Welcome to episode 94 of FRT. I'm Brad Carr of the IF. I'm once again in the suburbs of Washington. And again, we are reaching across the Atlantic, although this time to our guests in Oslo. And we turn to Oslo as a centre of leadership in digital identity, specifically as the home of BIPs and the world-leading bank ID development. And today we welcome Jessica Bostrom, Head of Sales, Business Development and Partnerships, and Katinka Yussi Bruberg, User Strategy and Insight Lead, both from VIPS International. Digital identity has emerged as, I think, one of the most important and urgent building blocks for the digital economy. We discussed Canada's Secure Key Verify Me solution recently on episode 87, and we're delighted to look at another world-leading, trend-setting pioneer here today. Jessica Katinka and their colleague Ronnie Navdal gave a fantastic presentation to the IAF and OpenID Foundation Open Digital Trust Plenary just quite recently. And I just couldn't wait really to get them back onto our podcast medium, because I think this is a story that needs telling across all time zones. And for any of our listeners trying to understand just how great the potential of digital identity for banks just might be. So Jessica and Katinka, welcome. It's great to speak with you both again. Thanks for joining us here on FRT. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So so let's jump in. And, and some of our listeners have probably heard of Bank ID, but I suspect not many are aware of how it works, how it's structured perhaps not even aware of who VIPS International is. So I'm hoping you can join some some dots together for us. And perhaps if you could tell us about your business at VIPS and how this fits together with Bank ID and the Norwegian banks. Absolutely. So uh, Bank ID is owned by all Norwegian banks through VIPS and DNB is our largest shareholder. VIPS has uh, three different brands under the company, uh, which is VIPS, Bank Accept and Bank ID. So VIPS is Norwegian payment wallet, Bank Accept is the Norwegian domestic payment scheme, and Bank ID is a national EID scheme. So these three companies were merged in 2018, and Bank ID was launched in 2004. This first version was a code device, and then later we've launched Bank ID on mobile, and then Bank ID application as well. Today, Bank ID actually has a 99% market penetration within the population of 20 to 59-year-olds here in Norway, and uh, we have an average usage of 198 times per user per year. We also have a 99% e-banking usage in Norway and 98% e-government usage. So this says something about how Bank ID has really digitalized Norway and been a vital part of that. Yes. So when it comes to VIPS International, we decided two years ago that we wanted to take the success internationally. Uh, we then started to work exploratory with uh, different potential large clients and partners to try to find the right model and need and, and how we actually could help them launch similar solutions in their uh, national uh, geography. And uh, we have worked both uh, on the wallet side and on the ID side. And when we did this international business development, uh, the team also found several new ideas and features that we would like to strengthen our offering with, which is now also helping the banks to renew their own products as well uh, and helping the Norwegian infrastructure to, to become even better. So yeah, now we're working a lot with exploring and developing and uh, making our offering to the Norwegian market much more innovative and also finding different business models to go internationally for example, through JVs, partnership models, uh, as a tech supplier, etc. So we're very flexible in our approach moving internationally and also working with several potential leads to explore the right business model and fit to ensure that the product is very successful in that specific market. I want to talk a bit about that, that very high market penetration rate that you've achieved. 
Before I do, I will give a quick shout out there. That you mentioned, uh, obviously, that the Norwegian banks are the shareholders and that DNB is the largest. I'll give a quick shout out to Oleg Svava, the chair of DNB, who is, of course, a member of IIF Board of Directors as well. And we're very delighted to have DNB's ongoing input and support in all of our activities. But I think a lot of what you've described there with that, that you know, very high take up rate achieved so far in Norway probably aligns with our understanding of the Nordic countries as being technology early adopters and having a lot of the underpinning infrastructure that's perhaps helped the, the community to adapt in this way. It's, it's really, I think, quite staggering the sort of numbers that you've talked there of the, the penetration and the, the ongoing usage. I'm interested if you could highlight um, perhaps any, anything about that that stands out for you in terms of whether there are particular learnings of, of, from the implementation and the adoption and, and what particularly has worked and driven that and where perhaps you're uh, looking to transport that model into other markets? Yeah, sure. So in the, in the Nordic market, as you say, we have a very special society. It's, it's a high level of trust. It's very early adopters in digital new products, et cetera. So when launching a solution like EID, it's a trust service. So it's really important to find the trust anchor in that specific country. It could be banks, it could be the private sector, telecommunication uh, companies, or, or a public sector, depending on the market. In Norway, uh, the banks and the public sector has a really high standing on, on the trust uh, levels. And I think also it's very important to find use cases that are used frequently by the users, could be banking services, payment companies, public transportation, etc., to make sure that the users can use the solution often and also recognize it and then get used to it. So when we have talked to different companies and clients internationally, we think it's important to find one or two companies that has a very strong position in that market, high level of trust, but also high frequency of, of services uh, and most likely cover maybe more than 50% of the population in that market to make sure that you're you're actually relevant to, to many users. And then we think it's really important that take advantage of other companies with use cases that can make the adoption and the frequency of the service much higher. One example from BankID, BankID today has over 30 resellers and that's partners to us that made the products and services much more relevant across other industries that we could never have covered on our own. So I think that's a really important takeaway cooperate with other businesses and, and partners that can make your service relevant across industries to increase the adoption. Jessica, I think it's a really great point and it fits with a lot of what, what we've talked about at the IF and what uh, a number of our member firms and the experts in North America have called out that we can't develop this in isolation. We can't just do this as a banking or as a broader financial sector. And that really, if you want people to be able to use a service effectively, then it needs to be something that they're going to use across multiple walks of life. Uh, and I guess we're in the COVID situation where in the future, it might be vaccine passports that are getting us into concerts or onto flights and the like. But really what you've described with those 30 resellers, I think is just embodying that, this point that, that we can't do this in isolation, in a vacuum as an industry. It needs to have that connectivity and that commonality um, for the user across sectors. Absolutely agree. And it's some kind of chicken and the egg pr problem here. Uh, you need to start somewhere with some kind of use cases and some companies that can launch the service and start using it. But then you need to add new partners on that and ensure that it's relevant for those industries as well. And I mean, we can talk about some of the different use cases uh, you find in Norway as well, because really showing that how broad it is, uh, you can see that you can use Bank ID within law firms. You can use it for board missions, for different signatures, 
uh, in different situations. But you can also use it to confirm your identity for a dating app or logging into your university portal. It is really ensuring that the user can use it everywhere where they need and that it works every time. Because once you've been able to do that, you ensure that the user trusts the service. Uh, and this has really been one of the key things that we see for bank ID to become one of the things that you can't live without in Norway. For example, we do a very often tracker of our brand here in Norway to ensure that we are staying on track. And we actually recently did one now in February. And here, the, our users said that 90% said that they feel comfortable using bank ID. It's something they consider safe and something they trust. And really, this is where you can kind of see how important this trust anchoring is, uh, like Jessica mentioned. And it really means that they will choose bank ID when they have the option to do so. And that is essentially the most important thing that we see. Yeah, Katinka, I really like that point, and, and I noted it to myself when Jessica referred to the trust anchors earlier, and it made me think of, of and I know for our listeners, I've, I've cited this many times, um, we had Hugh Van Steenis back on episode 52 talk to us about the, the Bank of England Future of Finance report that he'd, he'd authored, and one of the really standout uh, items in that report for me was where citizens had been asked, who do you most trust to protect your personal data? And 86% of people had responded their bank. And the other 14 were scattered across a mix of their energy retailer, their tech company, their social media firm, et cetera. And it really does underline that the banks do have, I think, a position as one of their great strengths really being as a, a trusted custodian of data. And there's maybe been a question for banks of, of how do they actually leverage that and how can they actually use that in a commercial environment uh, effectively? It seems to me that digital identity solutions like Bank ID is really presenting both the opportunity for the, the bank in, in bringing that as well as, as you say, providing that anchor that a digital identity system can attach to and, and leverage. I think that's a really good point. And to strengthen that, I think it's really important for banks to focus on this moving forward because we know that the development in the society, um, a lot of tech companies taking over the, the industry and offering new services that are much more competitive to banks. But this is a position that the banks actually can uh, keep and maintain to, to give the users the kind of safety that they need for handling their digital identity. And also the business case is very interesting in providing such a solution. So I think it's really important for banks to try to get their head around how they can launch such a scheme in the market and develop it uh, to make sure that their users' data is safe and that they are trusted in the society moving forward. So I think taking this point about you know, leveraging bank strength and bank capability, but also the, the cross-sectoral element that you've already described, one thing I'd like to delve a little bit further into is, is specifically about the use for government services, using your bank ID to, to authenticate access to, to government services. And I think when you presented this to our IIF and Open ID Foundation group, one of the things that really stood out was in the trajectory of the, the historical uptake that you had. There was a real acceleration when bank ID was first launched in the public sector. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Of course. So, so that's correct. There was a significant acceleration of the usage and also the number of services when Bank ID was implemented in the public sector. So uh, this was back in 2012 after an RFP. Uh, and before that time, the public sector had their own solution called uh, MyID, uh, which basically was used once a year when people did their tax declaration. The result of this was that people, of course, forgot their password and login information. 
resulting in significant costs to maintain the solution uh, for the public sector. So they issued the RFP uh, and Bank ID was one of the companies uh, that, that was able to provide the authentication method into public sector. And after this introduction, we saw that there was a significant increase in the number of authentication, but also the number of services offered digitally by public sector. So I think it was from 24 million EID authentications in, in 2012 to over 230 million in 2020. Uh, that's only over eight years. And now we're expecting over 310 in 2021. And back in that time, we had approximately 200 government services providers and services growing to over 6,500 in 2019. So, of course, there was a significant increase in both usage and the number of services provided in public sector through the use of Bank ID. Uh, and there are also other authentication methods that are enabled through the public sector in Norway. Uh, but over 99% use Bank ID for authentication and signature in public sector. And I think the result of this is that you can access basically everything back home in your couch. And you don't have to visit any physical public sector or banking office. You can access your health journals, your COVID information. You can book your doctor's appointments, change your income level, and of course, handle your tax declaration, among many other services in just a few seconds. And this is a, an important learning for adoption of these new kind of services. The user has to be used to the solution across a number of different services and use cases and be able to trust that they can use the solution everywhere. Uh, and that's when they start to actually uh, really adopt it and use it frequently. I'm going to continue to dwell perhaps a little bit on, on some of the highlights from when you, you spoke to our, our plenary group recently, because there are a few other things that really stood out and that I'd like to share with our listeners here. One of those was the use case of mortgage applications. Um, and it was, I think, you know, an incredible level of added efficiency that Bank ID had helped to enable. I was wondering if you could explain a bit about how that's been achieved. Absolutely. So this really uh, has been achieved through ensuring that we cover as many use cases as possible. And as we mentioned earlier, this is done through the use of resellers here in Norway. So because we cover so many use cases, the user can log into their bank account and apply for a loan with their bank ID in a minute. We've actually added a little bit of time delay or the banks have to ensure that the user fully understands what they're doing when they're applying for a mortgage uh, and the severity of doing that. Uh, so the user will confirm with their bank ID uh, that a credit check company can run a credit check on them. Uh, and then the bank obviously has uh, a lot of information on their user already. And with that information, they can actually run a fully automated process and give the users a mortgage on the spot. We can even take this to the next level here in Norway and say that maybe you want to buy an apartment. Uh, this can also be done through a day if you wanted to, uh, where you can do the viewing now digitally, a little bit thanks to COVID, I think. Uh, and then you can get all the information needed uh, from your bank, give that to their uh, realtor, and you can do the bidding process through Bank ID signature. So you'll sign off each bid with Bank ID. And then you can sign the contract with the seller fully digitally as well. So I don't think a lot of people are buying an apartment in a day, but it is technically possible through Bank ID. But I do think you have to physically pick up the key and enter your apartment, though. We haven't solved that one just yet. 
But this really shows like the cost and time saver that is involved for all parties uh, using Bagkadi and really digitalizing society in this way. And we think this uh, this has been a huge advancement here in Norway. Uh, absolutely. It's, uh, I think, very impressive. And I think to, to the extent where you are needing to consciously add time into the process to ensure that nobody feels unduly rushed and that there is sufficient understanding, uh, it's a sign that you've certainly managed to remove the process and technology frictions. You also have a, a remarkably low fraud rate. Uh, and when you presented to our plenary group, you know, I recall one maybe slightly sceptical questioner posited that this might be because crime generally is lower in Norway. I suspect there's probably a marginal element to, to that point. But your numbers, nonetheless, I think are just multiple orders of magnitude better than what most banks around the world are, are tracking. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, that achievement and the, and the safeguards that are helping to enable that. Absolutely. So I, I think you're completely right. The Scandinavian countries do maybe have some, you know, some sort of lower fraud rate uh, in general, but I think it is also a big part of this is bank ID and the security that we have around it. Uh, so bank ID is a federated scheme and it's based on mutual trust and acceptance between all the different banks here in Norway. So it is a solution that's based on one common PKI infrastructure and a common set of rules and policies that really ensures that security and transparency that is required to enable this amount of adoption and growth that we have seen here. Yes, and we also implemented a KYC process that are similar between banks and the banks also trust the other banks uh, KYC process, which I think is really important. And also we have established BITS which is the governing body that overlooks the rules and regulations of Bankadi. And BITS is always involved when there are any required changes, incidents, or for example, when we want to launch new services, they need to control the services and approve them to be launched. Uh, and I think this is a really good solution for, for countries that want to establish something similarly. Having one independent organization that controls and govern the solution uh, with a common set of rules and procedures. So this is what, very important. And I think it has been working very well for, for the Norwegian market in order to really establish the trust that is required here. So perhaps if I could ask you what the, the future might hold, what the future looks like for Bank ID. And I guess one thought I had coming into our discussion was, you know, this, this point we've discussed about how we don't want to be doing things in financial services in a vacuum and we need to bridge across other walks of life. It sounds like you've already done a lot of that. So I'm curious um, as to, to perhaps what is next for Bank ID and what's the vision for the future? Yes, that fits very well uh, with our vision of the future. And, and as you mentioned, Bank ID is already used across many sectors, but the solution has previously only had the highest security level uh, called Level of Assurance High, according to the IDES framework. And when we have been out internationally and working with the different cases, we realized that we need to have a solution also covering the lower security levels to ensure that the solution is very flexible and easier to use uh, and also be relevant for other use cases that we weren't covering today. So we have now been working with developing a new platform, making it more flexible and cloud-based and also launching lower security levels, enabling other type of transactions. Uh, and this is to ensure that we are re relevant and also preferred across a number of services. We're also working on enabling biometrics for authentication and uh, signatures moving forward, which is going to be launched this year, uh, and developing other services, e.g. value-adding services and trust services to provide a very competitive offering 
to our clients and one full portfolio that can be used across all the sectors. Uh, we're also working on developing a customer channel to ensure that the customer has a natural interaction point with Bank ID and can be notified when there are, for example, fraud attempts in industries or in new ways. Uh, we can inform and educate the customer and also alert the customer when there are any attempts towards that specific customer, provide a history overview of uh, performed authentications, uh, signatures and transactions to give the customer their track history collected at one place. We're also actually piloting uh, something that we're going to call identity check, uh, which is basically something we want to use to revalidate some of our back ID users. So this will be uh, the user scanning their passport with an NFC chip and then also taking a photo video of themselves and making sure that you know they can demonstrate that they are who they say they are. Uh, and we want to use this to, as I said, revalidate some of our users because there's been a while since some of our bank ID users have uh, gone to the store and actually got their bank ID and some of their passport might have expired in the meantime. So we need to now revalidate and we want to do that in a digital way. So this is in pilot at the moment. And then we want to take this even further going down the road and ensuring that we can do full digital onboarding as well doing EKYC uh, for the users. So this means that there will be even less reason to go to the different branches uh, for the banks. And I mean, for us, DNB has already reported in 2020 that they've closed down 70% of their branches in the previous four years. So we have already seen the significance of bank ID and digitalizing all the other services. And so now we're doing the final part to make sure that everything is digital. But it's completely right, uh, as you said, Brad, it's essential that the user uh, is able to use their EID in multiple settings here and not just for their own bank. They need to use it for online profiles in multiple settings. And when there is one EID for everything, the user's digital life becomes just that much easier for them to manage. Uh, Katinka, where, where my wife and I have each recently had to go through the process of renewing our Virginia driver's licenses, uh, I could certainly appreciate the value of being able to do that, um, that revalidation in a uh, remote and, uh, and digitized fashion. So I look forward to that potentially being rolled out on, on this side of the Atlantic. I do want to go back briefly, uh, Jessica, to a point you made around the, the different levels of assurance. And I think it might be just worth clarifying for, for some of our listeners here, because sometimes we perhaps hear of you know, a growing assumption or expectation of, of only the highest levels of assurance. And where you talk about the use cases, perhaps, that may be more suited to a lower security level. Perhaps just to, to if I can check if I'm understanding this correctly, I, I'm thinking of where we have, you know, large scale payments and money transfers, where we obviously have concerns about financial crime and ensuring that we're not enabling money laundering. And we have a very high standard of verification that's needed in those cases, versus things where in this e-commerce world that, uh, the COVID experience has propelled. We might be buying products online where you need to establish that you meet an age criterion, or perhaps there are things like the uh, use case of the UK lotteries where you needed to validate your age and also that you had a UK address. Are we talking about those sort of things perhaps where, where there's not the same level of rigor to meet all of you know, national anti-money laundering requirements and the like, and it's just purely enabling a merchant in that case to know that, yes, you are an eligible purchaser for their product? Is that the sort of thing we're thinking about in terms of the, the lower security use cases? Yeah, it's, it's uh, partly that. But also when we did the international business development uh, the last two years, we realized that 
approximately 85% of the use cases in the new markets were covered by level of assurance low and substantial, uh, whilst we were offering the highest level of assurance. Uh, the high level of assurance you need, for example, for large money transactions, in Norway it's over 10,000 euros, and also for accessing health information, all your daily banking transactions, all the e-commerce transactions, etc. Those things can be done with low security levels. And of course, uh, also accessing your insurance information or, or similarly. So we realized that we, we shouldn't have such a complicated solution for when it's not required. Instead, you should have a step up to when we need to really assure that this is you, you're going to transfer a lot of money or you're buying an apartment. We really need to know that you are you, Brad. Uh, so, so that's what we want to do. We want to offer a step up for when it's required for the merchant, but we want to start on the lower security level and then uh, rather move upwards than only offering the highest one. No, it makes, makes a lot of sense and uh, hopefully delivers a, a more efficient service that matches the need of, of small businesses, for instance. Lastly, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about the international vision. And you've alluded to this a little bit and, and indeed on the point you were just making around uh, the studies that you've done of the international use cases and ensuring that your, your offering is, is fit for that purpose. But I was wondering if I could ask you to, to just uh, perhaps elaborate a little further in terms of the opportunities that you're seeing for your initiative to help connect and, and to be deployed internationally and where this can help to solve some of the issues across the broader international environment. Yeah, so we have kind of put together an international vision for, for how we would like to approach this. And, and what we want to do is enable a trusted, inclusive and vibrant digital society globally. And we want to do this through a multipurpose identity and trust services for all. So we're quite flexible when it comes to how this should be done. Uh, as countries are very different uh, and we kind of see that the Scandinavian countries have probably been in a bit of a different situation when it comes to digitalization for quite some time. So we've seen that there will be a need for different business models, different setups in different countries. Uh, we've had projects ongoing in Africa, Europe, South America and the US and we see that the needs here are quite different uh, from what we've had in Norway. Uh, and that is important to take into consideration when putting up this type of EID scheme. I think Etika has a really good point there. All the markets are very different and we need to find partners that uh, can complement us when moving forward. So that is basically what we have been working a lot with different clients to try to find the perfect match and ensure that we share the vision of moving forward with this solution. It should be the, on the right attention. We do, however, have a very strong knowledge and experience uh, that can be used for other partners and also clients to help them achieve similar things that we have done in Norway. For example, we have, of course, 15 years of uh, EID technology and service knowledge, operations experience, governance and compliance, go-to-market, and of course, the network of EID resellers that can be used internationally. But I think what's really important is, is that we find partners that have the strong trust position in that market, uh, also KYC and compliance capability, and a strong footprint and distribution power, and of course, the local market know-how, which we don't have. So now we're working on several cases and developing how this might look like and what kind of business model we should use uh, when moving forward. But as mentioned previously, we're very flexible and I think it's really important to find uh, the right markets and the right client match 
to move forward. So um, yeah, that's that's basically what we're working on right now. Well, I think you're going to find a lot of opportunity. Um, and and Jessica and Katiga, it's it's been great to speak with you again. Just uh, I think for our, our listeners, I I want to perhaps add the context. I, I know I've referred to a couple of our previous episodes throughout this discussion, but I do also want to mention episode 73 with Rod Boothby of Santander and Don Thibault of the Open ID Foundation. And that discussion we had there gave a bit of further or wider context about the, the Open Digital Trust Initiative. I recommend that for a, a great snapshot of the vision and opportunity. But I think uh, putting that together with what we've heard from, from Jessica and Katinka here, that vision that, that we and others have spoken about on a global basis really seems to be a vision that the VIPS team is already bringing to reality in their market and, uh, and now very much looking beyond. Jessica and Katika, I, I want to see if I can highlight a couple of points that, that I think have probably most resonated and, and stood out from, from our discussion. Uh, I think just that the level of penetration achieved in the Norwegian market really is quite remarkable. And you mentioned the the 99% market penetration amongst the the population aged 20 to 59. And 20 to 59 is a pretty broad brand that captures uh, most of the the adult population. But also that that point of having 198 average uses per year just shows that you really have managed to embed something that is then integral in people's lives and they are using it on a almost daily basis across those different uh, different walks of life. I think also that the 98% e-government usage um, was another great figure that you mentioned. And it ties in with this theme of needing to ensure that the solution is is workable across multiple walks of life. I thought it was really impressive what you mentioned of having over 30 resellers uh, and the, the breadth of those from law firms and being used for things like board signatures across university portals across the mortgage situation and, and also uh, where Katinka mentioned the, the bidding process for property purchases. And I think you know, this significance of, of really having the upshot that for the government services, you can use it really for everything across medical needs and appointments and tax declarations, I think is a, a really significant achievement. Two more things I'll mention. Um, one was, I think, the, the point that underlined about banks trusting each other's KYC processes. And I think this is a really significant enabler and a really significant point as part of the broader ecosystem. Um, obviously, we need to ensure that we have a, a legal and liability framework that is conducive for banks to trust each other in that way and to rely on each other. But I think it is a really important point. And lastly, when we talk about the differing levels of assurance and the differing levels of need, uh, and I think Jessica has given us a great sense there of you know, fitting to the, the different cases, to the different uh, particular customer requirements. But the fact that 85% of use cases were needing a low or substantial case, as opposed to those for large money transfers and insurance and medical records where a much higher level of, of protection is needed, you know, it, it makes sense that we're not straightjacketing a singular solution on all cases, uh, but rather in a much more tailored fashion. So a lot of great um, examples, a lot of great successes achieved already from, from Bank ID. And I think as, as we at the IF and with our partners at the Open ID Foundation look across the globe, you know, this is one that really stands out and one that has uh, a lot of great further opportunity um, that we should be collectively looking to leverage. Jessica and Katinka, it's been great speaking with you again. Really appreciate you sharing these insights. Thanks for being with us again on FRT. Thank you so much. Thank you. Looking ahead on FRT, I want to highlight a couple of our other upcoming guests. Uh, next week, we're going to catch up with Shamit Kundu, former Chief Data Officer at Standard Chartered and now at Artificial Intelligence Startup Truera. Perhaps picking up some of the, the KYC element, we're going to talk about the use of new technologies in the fight against financial crime with Adrian Delacasa of Unicredit. Chris Steele of KPMG is going to join me to discuss developments in RegTech. And my IAF colleague, Lawrence White, is going to turn the clock back to his days when he previously worked at the FSB in Baal, and he's going to speak with his former colleagues, Eva Hookes and Alexandra Steveno, to discuss stablecoins and the FSB CPMI cross-border payments roadmap. So plenty more to come on FRT, 
Stay safe. Please join us for those upcoming episodes. I'm Brad Carr, and thanks for listening with us.